British Beckles is celebrating 75 years of innovating in specialist ingredients for bakers and patissiers across all five continents. With a report that gives a crystal ball gaze 25 years into the future of the baking industry. Baking past, present and future was collated in collaboration with food futurist Lyndon G and looks back at the business's key achievements along with landmark moments in the food industry's history and what could lie ahead for the next seven decades. Without a doubt, we are teetering on the cusp of a major challenge and as Paul Morrow, chairman of British Backles, told us, the industry as a whole needs to be alert to the difficulties of the next 12 months and be ready to do the best job they can. I'm afraid the industry has to be braced for price increases and the consumer has to be prepared to pay more. We chat to Paul to find out more about the current landscape, its most immediate challenges, future trials that will have an impact and the role that British Backles has played in making the sector a vibrant market for the past 75 years. British Backles is marking a milestone celebration. Can you briefly tell me about its history? Yes, um, British Backles is part of the privately owned International Backles Group and it was set up immediately after the Second World War or almost after the Second World War, 25th of February 1947 to be precise. Um, the Backles um, family had started a business in the Netherlands in 1904 they then opened the business in Sweden in 43. So British Backles is the third oldest company within the Backles Group, and the Backles Group today is about 40 companies worldwide. So we've been in the UK since 47, initially as a trading company importing products from the Backles factory in Sweden. Mm -hmm. In 1955, there was a, a change when um, the business bought a margarine manufacturer in Sly and Sussex, and we became a manufacturer. It was only of wet products, um, so we were making margarines, and then we established a very strong position in release agents, particularly in industrial bakeries, with our, our brand Tincall and, and supporting equipment. Right. And that was what we continued doing right the way through to 1990. And the big change started then in 1990 when... Um, the group acquired the site we have here in Bicester and built the first phase of the factory and started manufacturing powder products here in the UK for the first time. Up until 1990, all of our powder products had been imported either from the Netherlands or from Sweden. So 1990 onwards is really the the second phase of the, of the history of British Backles. And it's been a, um, a history where 95 we closed the old site in Slough and relocated everybody to Bicester. And in 95, we turned over £10 million. We had 54 employees, and we made 4,000 tonnes. Every year thereafter, we invested in new equipment as we needed it. We invested in more people, and particularly technical sales and product development. And it was just a, a, an annual story of growth, almost in, uninterrupted for 25 years. We reached um, 2019 before COVID hit us with turnover through £50 million, 220 employees and more than 30,000 tonnes produced in the factory. So 
that first part up to 1990, where we were trading company margarine and release agent manufacturer, and then 1990 onwards, where we were a manufacturer of all the products that we need to sell in the UK and a continual investor in this site. Um, I joined Backles in 94, so I've been on that journey for the last 27 years. And in fact, mm-hmm. I organised the 50th anniversary celebration, so it, uh-huh. it really puts it into perspective. Excellent. So how did the company and the bakery manufacturing sector in general fare through the pandemic? It was a, a mixed picture depending on the market sectors that you were strongest in. If you were uh, strong in the craft sector and also um, companies producing standard sliced bread and long life cakes, you did very well. If you were a company who was involved in supplying the supermarkets, in-store bakeries, footfall was down, the volumes declined. If you were involved in any products which were going into the um, out-of-home eating, burger buns, muffins, um, uh, cupcakes, etc., you suffered. So I would say that every business um, lost some volume, but some will have lost more than others. We're so certainly facing a lot of challenges, what with war, climate change, the future of the food system, the lean towards plant-based. Um, what do you see the biggest threats and opportunities for the sector? I think if you'd asked me that question even two weeks ago, the answer might have been slightly different. Indeed. Um, I, I mean, we, we for sure know that we have long-term consumer trends of um, wanting to Uh, eat healthily, wanting to know that their product is sustainable and ethically sourced, moving away from meat-based diets. All of those are long-term trends. And in Europe and in the UK, there will be a trend towards premiumization, where people are eating more um, higher-valued sourdough breads than they are standard sliced white breads, for example. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that what is happening at the moment is going to put some of those longer term trends on hold and it will be a question of what is what can i afford and what is available more than some of these um personal preferences of um health ethical sourcing um etc so right. I, I think we have a very turbulent year in front of us Talking about that um, and specifically uh, what is happening in Ukraine, how do you see the wheat prices being affected and how will this affect your business? Wheat futures are 40% higher than Mm. two weeks ago. So that's a fair indication of what's likely to happen. Now, yes, we buy a reasonable amount of flour, but nothing by comparison to what the bakers buy. So our products might have um, a flour content, but they're not a 100% flour. Um, are, are, so, uh, and it's a question of cost. Almost certainly there will be enough bread-making wheat if you're prepared to pay the high enough price for it. Our bigger concern is actually availability of other products, and they're prim- primarily sunflower-based. So in um, not so much in British buckles, but... Um, other companies will be using sunflower lecithin. It's used, for example, in chocolate production. Mm-hmm. We know that suppliers of sunflower lecithin have now called force majeure and are not supplying. 
that means everybody will move into other sources of lecithin, um, which are either rapeseed or soya. Soya, there is concerns about GMO. So lecithin is a, is a very important emulsifier for, where people wish to avoid what they would call chemical emulsifiers. And there can be supply difficulties in that. Right. With 70% of the world's sunflower se- sunflowers grown in Russia and Ukraine, getting sunflower seeds for seeded breads is going yes. to be a problem. And I could see the situation of either very high price or no sunflower seeds. So some difficult times ahead. Um, for your 75th anniversary, you teamed up with food futurist Nindan G to yeah. produce a uh, trends report. With so many trends reports being published, why this partnership and why do you think your report will stand out? Right. We, we wanted to look further ahead. Most of the trend reports you see cover the next five years. Mm-hmm. And we, we wanted someone who was just going to crystal ball gaze maybe 25 years forward. What would what would the world look like? And that you know, brought out some some interesting challenges because um, we, we will have technological changes and um, we will almost certainly have more personalized nutrition. How far does that f- flow into much more specific products which are produced for a a very specific target audience. And that will require different manufacturing and supply chain approaches than we have today. But if personalised nutrition grows, we'll have to change and adapt to it. One of the other things which personally I I, I was very happy to um, read is the view that if we are going to feed the world's population, if we are going to deal with the transfer from meat to vegetable, we're going to have to adopt gene technology in a way that we haven't been willing to do in the past. And I think that is inevitable. Um, At some point in the future, we have to use all the tools in our toolbox, and gene technology is one of them. What are the other standard trends you found? Um, It's the consumer behaviour. So, you know, the the technological changes which would allow us to do things which we perhaps can't do today, but the consumer's demand for those things, and for sure – um, sustainability and ethical trading and the consumer um, interest in that is only going to increase and only going to have a greater influence on in our business. And if we think then about both digital marketing and social media communication, I think the individual consumer will have more interest in what we do than at any point in our history. We've always been business to business. Bakers are our customers and the consumer is their customer. Today, the consumer is very plugged in and the information flows very quickly. And I think we're going to have to be mindful of digital marketing and consumer communications. Do you think the manufacturing sector is forthcoming in answering these consumer trends and demands? Um, Yes. And my reason for saying that is if we don't, we cease to exist. So if I look back over, I don't know, the last... 20 years. As British backers, we were early into organics. We were early into um, gluten-free. When people wanted to have no hydrogenated fats, we we were very quick to reformulate. We have palm alternatives um, for uh, anyone who wants to avoid palm. And we have now a very extensive range of vegan products. Mm -hmm. So we have adapted. And I think the industry as a whole has adapted. We've reduced um, salt, we are trying to reduce sugar or calorie counts where we can, but it's a very simple 
um, equation. It, it is um, natural selection. If you don't adapt, you won't survive. Absolutely. So how do you see the landscape evolving over the short to medium term? Fewer, bigger players supplied by fewer, bigger companies. Okay. And what can we be doing to make the sector more vibrant? First of all, we have to make sure people are not concerned about eating bread, either on the grounds of health or obesity, that you, know, you don't have to cut bread out of, a, out of a healthy diet or a diet where you are watching the calories that you eat. Um, you have to be selective on the breads that you want to eat, but that there should be no negative messages associated with bread. Then you can build on the positives of of where it is a good source of basic nutrition and is also very enjoyable to eat. If it it is good bread, it's good to eat. On the confectionery side, then that's probably a little bit more difficult in that, A, if you try and make them healthier, they're not as nice as as they always were. You try and make a reduced fat croissant it is no longer a croissant croissant should have 30 percent butter so how we address um, health and obesity concerns in the confectionery sector will be interesting we we can reformulate as best as possible we can advise on portion size but ultimately consumers will want a treat and then um, we we have a, a very simple approach to our confectionery line if you're going to feel guilty afterwards make sure it was worth it Absolutely. Have you noticed any emerging trends that might still be very much on the cusp of the sector at the moment, but you see eventually growing into something strong? I think the meat-free is is something which is at the moment still almost niche, but I think right. will be mainstream. I have eaten um, vegetable-based um, Cornish pasties and sausage rolls and, and, and pies, which are very, very acceptable. So I think the move away from traditional meat-based bakery savoury lines to meat-free is only at, the, only at the beginning. But I would suspect that in five to ten years, meat-free is the mainstream and traditional, if it exists at all, will be the minor part. And do you see any changes coming um, on the production side? We have to automate um, I mean, in this country, we relied extensively on Eastern European labour, which is in many cases no longer available. Mm. So I, I can I can foresee um, significant investment in automation, um, and and with that, we may start having to make choices about, for example, pack sizes, because you can't be as flexible when you automate as you can be when you're manual. What are the company's sustainability commitments? Um, It's not negotiable. It's not discretionary any longer. Um, We see um, what our customers are doing and asking for. We we, we see what the consumer wants. We see um, in particular where we have, um, for example, supermarket customers who are making their own sustainability pledges and then to support those, they have, they must make sure that their suppliers' sustainability credentials stand up. So it's something that we want to do, and it's something that we have to do. And w- where does sustainability come in? It, it's the sourcing of our raw materials. So, for example, Palm, we're a member of the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm. We only use certified sustainable palm um, uh-huh. as, as one example. 
Then you get into the areas of packaging. Can we reduce the amount of packaging that we use? Can we ensure that the packaging that we use is fully recyclable? Those areas we will be focusing on. And we do consume in our factories quite a lot of energy, quite a lot of water and produce quite a lot of effluent. And across in the UK and in three other sites across the world, we are upgrading our effluent treatment and we know we need to keep doing that. And we are looking at our water efficiencies to consume as little water as possible. What is the long-term growth strategy for British Beckles? It will be um, steady as we go. We have taken the company up five-fold in 25 years by doing what the customer wanted. More than half of our products are tailor-made for individual specific customers, and they have been developed specifically for that customer's process and the products they want to produce. And we need to back that up with the manufacturing um, capability and capacity. A small example is is our range of caramels, which are our second largest um, product range. Uh We saw growth there, and five, six years ago, we invested £1.5 million in a dedicated caramel line, and that enables us to produce both the quality and the quantity of caramel, which is still being demanded. We we are commissioning in April a new production line in the wet factory, which will allow us to produce products which today we cannot produce. We don't have the capability to produce them, and we will be offering those in the marketplace in the second half of the year. So... It's this um, being in step with your customer and doing what it is they require increasingly tailor-made and specific to the customer and ensuring your factory has both the capability and the capacity to continue growing. What is your market? We um, have a broad base and that's quite deliberate. If you look at the size of the UK craft sector, we would be significantly overweight in our sales to the craft sector. We have growing business in the industrial sector, um, both bread and confectionery, and our largest sector um, for some years now has been supplies to the in-store bakeries. So um, in order of sending order, it's craft, industrial and in-store. We also supply um, sister backles companies. So we have a company in Ireland, which is not a manufacturing company, and everything that they sell comes out of the factory here in Bicester in, in, in England. And we, we supply, for example, our caramel um, to, to many places around the world through the backles group. I'd uh, re-emphasise the point that the coming 12 months are going to be very difficult in terms of cost and supply. I mean, we already know the forward price of sugar from the end of this year. It's going to be a lot more expensive. And anything with uh, vegetable oil, rapeseed oil, it's going to be very difficult. So I'm afraid the industry has to be braced for price increases and the consumer has to be prepared to pay more. That might reduce the choice. They may have to make a decision about buying a, a, a a standard product or a more added value product. And I suspect consumers will be squeezed and standard products will be bought more and added value less. So I think the industry as a whole needs to be alert to the difficulties of the next 12 months and be ready to do the best job they can. Do you supply to the Ukraine or Russia? We don't don't supply to the Ukraine. We do supply to Russia. We have a company in Russia... Um, which is a manufacturing site in 
um, St. Petersburg and a commercial office in Moscow. We have about 50 colleagues in Russia. And we issued a group position statement at the beginning of the week confirming that we see our role is as supplying bakery ingredients which bakers use to make bread to feed the common people. And we will right. continue manufacturing in Russia. So okay. that, that's the position statement of Backles that we will continue to manufacture in Russia and help feed the Russian people. They're not the ones causing the problem. Thank you.